I'm going to start having people stand beside me up here so I can remember what I'm supposed to be saying. So, If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to 1 John chapter 4. And after, as we are turning there, let me pray for us and pray over the next few minutes that we have together as a family of faith. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it's true. And we thank you for dedicated babies and conversion stories. And I pray for us as a people today that you would help us to see why your word matters. And the value of us knowing you and trusting you and believing in you. So, Father, if there are any in this room who have never placed any faith in you, we pray that you would save him or her from the sin that binds them. And we pray for believing people that we would not get caught up in false things. That you would guide us and direct us and redirect us when, when the world that we live in draws us into things that are unlike you and far from you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thursday I was on Facebook scrolling and I noticed that uh, not really a friend, more of an acquaintance. I've never met this person in person, but we used to be in a Madden NFL league together years ago. I was a full-grown adult with children, but I was playing. We met online friends, and uh, I noticed that he was selling a car. And I found that to be really interesting, and primarily because the price was really good. And I thought, I need to inquire about this car. I need to ask some questions of him as to why he's selling this. And as I began to interact with him over the price of the car, he began to reply with direct messages just telling me to send the down payment. And I, I said, well, I, I, I need to think about this. And he said, no, just send the down payment right now. I realized it was fake. Uh, that wasn't the worst experience I've had. It was about a year ago. Um, I was on uh, Twitter. I promise I don't live my life on social media. I, I try to play Wordle every day. But, and connections. Uh, and while I'm there, I am... Uh, Grieving a, a frustration that I have with two companies, really, American Express and Delta, because both of them had wounded me severely. <laughs> and I expressed this grievance. This is unlike my friend Twain, who's not here today, but Twain likes to express his frustration with companies like Chick-fil-A. Uh, and I don't... But when they got rid of those cinnam, chicken or those cinnaminis. But while I'm there online expressing my frustrations with American Express and with Delta, I get a very quick direct message from someone, and I thought, this has got something done today. It was the American Express UK because, you know, that's who's going to be leaning in to help with my case here in the Gulf of Houston. And they begin to ask me various questions, uh, questions uh, that really, if you think about it, they should know the answers to, like, what's your credit card number? You would think your credit card company would know your credit card number. And what's your uh, social security number? And I, 
you know, and then they sent me a, a Google Doc because that's the kind of thing that a major company like American Express uses, a Google Doc. And I'm sharing this information with them quickly. And then there's that moment. And maybe you've... uh, This was the most senior moment that I've ever had. I thought, "Uh uh-oh. 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 I have just given my life away. Thankfully, there's this company called Life Alert that may or may not be the scammers that uh, let me know how they would help me very quickly. And they began to lock down my identity as I'm dealing with these fraudulent... Accounts. When you get to the book of 1 John, chapter 4, you notice that there is a fraudulence that John seems to be dealing with in the hearts of the church, at at least with what the church has been walking through. Now, to understand 1 John 4, if you weren't with us last week, we're so glad you're here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, the very last phrase of 1 John 3, 24, uh, 1 John chapter 3, is this, the one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way that we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. So you get this word spirit as to who God is, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that we've had conversations about as believers and maybe you've thought through who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit would interact with your life. And as we see this notion of the spirit, you get to the very next thing in chapter 4. And we're going to spend our time today in verses four, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Just read with me if you have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, we have it on the screen for you. It reads, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ, Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. You're from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and when the world listens to them, we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love, love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His Son, His one and only Son, into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, that we loved, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Within this church, there are false prophets that are that have been at work. They have stepped away from the church because of this disagreement as to who this Jesus actually happens to be. The conversation taking place in the church at Ephesus at this point in history was that Jesus wasn't really a human. 
There's this idea of the flesh and the separation of the spirit there. And, and as John addresses this, he is continually coming at the idea that to understand what it means to know Jesus, we have to grasp that he is fully God, fully man. Completely God, completely man. And there are those who have left the church at Ephesus over these arguments. And what we see in this text today is we... Is we Take time to break it down is this. First, we're going to see our central idea is that love acts. Love acts. And as you look through the outline there, if you're a note taker, we'll see how love happens to act. Love acts toward falsehood. Love acts toward opposition. And love acts toward one another. So let's spend some time looking at that and then we'll get to 9 and 10 and see what's taking place right there. Verse 1. Dear friends, don't believe... Every spirit. The, uh, the word that John would use for believe in the New Testament is the word trust. Do not trust every spirit, but the spirits, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And as John brings this up, he is speaking directly to the idea that there are those who were with them that were actually against them. Not everything that we see that is spiritual is divine, and those things need to be separated. There are spiritual things at work in our world each and every day. So the spirit of darkness, the spirit of sin, the spirit of this world, those things are consistently, continually at work. And when we begin to talk about things like sincerity... We have to be very intentional and very careful to realize that we cannot let the sincerity of someone cause us to align with them. You may say, but that person, that person that I met that believes that really weird thing, he or she is so sincere. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. And even within our midst at times as believers... We can never get to the point where we think that we're never wrong. The growing process is confronting our wrongness as followers of Jesus. But in our world, as John is dealing, rather in John's world, as he's dealing with those who have stepped away from the church, there are those who have been with them. We always think about who's with them as if they were evildoers with twirly mustaches. But this is a church of anywhere from 25 to 50 people. They were there on child dedication Sundays. They would hold babies. They were there when bread was broken. They were there when meals were shared. They were people that were loved by the church at Ephesus. They have stepped away... Because the central truth of Christianity that Christ came to us as a human being. God came to us as a human being. Is something that they have chosen to deny. They shared testimonies. Testimony is a solemn attestation as to the truth of a matter. <laughs> I do have someone helping me today. What if Siri was just really crass right there? It would have thrown us all off. 
sometimes as a pastor you get someone will let you know as to what's taking place in the churches around our community they'll let you know what's happening here or what's happening there and sometimes we will jump to the conclusion that someone is no longer with us not we but in general the we just to be intentional with us, there is a difference between having a different hermeneutic, which is the study of Scripture, and being a heretic. Amen. Denominational alignment is something that we call it to the micro. We are part of a denomination. We are an embodiment of what the church is. There are things that we share with believers across, across the church those who really believe that Jesus' death and his resurrection are the hope of the world that may differ from us in, in certain ways. When Jared and I have those conversations where people let us know that this church is doing this or that church, that we keep coming back to, look, it's hard enough for us to run this place. Much less every other church in town. So what helps us? What is something that the church historically has given us to let us know who is bound with us as followers of the Lord Jesus? There's this thing called the Apostles' Creed, and it's not Scripture, but it is taken from the, taken from the different apostles who helped to shape our understanding of other Scriptures, and it does offer us some really good guidance, and it really helps us to deal with maybe some of the falsehood that John sees here and that you may be seeing when you differ in certain areas from other believers within our community who may see baptism differently than you do or who speaks on stage differently than you do. Here's what the Apostles' Creed says, if you've never heard it. I believe in God the Father, the God the Father Almighty. He's the creator of heaven and the earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic church, lowercase c, church, the communion of the saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For John, he is addressing those who have left the church and have left the idea that Christ came in the flesh. They now seem to wholly align, holy W-H-O-L-L-Y, with the unbelieving, Christ-denying world. When someone denies Christ as the Savior of the world who came and was, whose body was broken and his blood was shed and whose resurrection overcame sin and death, to deny that is to deny the Christian faith. Verse 2, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. This is the plural and it's offering illumination as to what it means for the Holy Spirit to be at work in us. This idea of spirits. What we see here in verse 2 is a little differently than what we see earlier because what we see John pointing out to us as believers is... For a believing person, the Holy Spirit of God that seals you and will not leave you is present in you. And the Holy Spirit is at work to move your spirit and mind to being more and more like Jesus. To be more and more like God who has revealed himself to us in the flesh. 
God, the concept of God is certainly an abstract thing. And to simplify for us that huge abstract concept, God gave us His Son, and His Spirit directs us toward His Son. Verse 3, But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, the word Antichrist can throw us a little bit upside down, especially when there is upheaval in the Middle East. Because many of us came from backgrounds where we were waiting for the Antichrist to show up, the beast that we see in the book of Revelation, and that he would give us a special credit card on our forehead, and everything would be broken from that point forward. And there is the notion that there would be, would be raptured away. Now the thing is, when we're talking about Antichrist here, and maybe, just maybe, we'll deal with the book of Revelation when Jared wants to do a whole sermon series. But, when we look at Antichrist in the Scriptures, it is exactly what it's saying it is. Anything that is against Messiah... In your workplace, there are things that are against the Messiah. When you go to H-E-B, there are things that are operating in opposition to Messiah. It's all around us. This isn't intended to scare us. It's to let us know the world in which we live. The spirit of the Antichrist is to deny that Jesus is who Jesus says that he is. So love deals with falsehood. Love also acts toward opposition. What do we see the passage say to us about that in verses 4 through, four through 6? You are from God, little children. And again, if you do not like to be called a little child, John loves the people in his church and he calls them that regularly. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So, to put the cookies on the bottom shelf, John says, Jesus is greater than Satan. Now, we kind of live in yin-yang sometimes, at least in our heads. We've got the good and the bad. We have this, the idea that things are in opposition to one another. And we really, in, somewhere in the back of our heads, are hoping against hope the good will win. The thing is, that line of thinking is actually anti-Christ. Because the Spirit who is at work in you as a believer is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus is greater than Satan. Letting us know, to paraphrase, that God's power to save and restore is greater. Much greater. Way, way, way greater than Satan's power to harm and destroy. So all that's at work in our lives right now that seems anti-Christ those rebellious kids that live at your house, those frustrating co-workers, the hope for that person being restored to Jesus is just as safe and secure now as it has ever been. 
You don't know how bad the world is. No, but I know how good Jesus is. And he affirms to us how good he is consistently as we walk through his word. One of my... One of the favorite theologians you'll hear referred to around here is R.C. Sproul, pastor, Bible teacher. And he kind of addresses the idea of how we can assure in our hearts what God is doing. And he says, I cannot read God's mind, but I can read God's word. The scriptures are going to take us to who God is. They're going to show us who God is. They are going to reveal to us continually over and over who this God is and how this God loves and cares for us as his people. And the scriptures will direct the lives of sinful people who have been restored to make much of Jesus. The scriptures at work in our lives through the power of the Spirit. We look and we see this in verse 5. They are from the world, therefore what they say is from the world. And the world listens to them. These men have gone out and their families have gone out into the world and they are in alignment with it even though they were masquerading around with some fictitious religion. N.T. Wright says this, people who speak from the world wall always find it easy to poke fun at the general, genuine beliefs of the Christian faith. So sometimes all that a Christian can do is this. This is what we are called to do. To remember that God is actually defined in relationship with the person of Jesus. And that Jesus came from God and became flesh in our midst and on our behalf. And if we get rid of that, we don't know who God is. If we remove the idea of Jesus crucified, resurrected in our place, we no longer have Christianity. We have something altogether else. We want to turn away from idolatrous thought. We want to turn away from whatever we would worship in the place of Jesus. And sometimes, just sometimes, that's our own thought patterns. But we turn away from those things and turn to Jesus. Because the truth of the matter, the fact of the matter is, God is not necessarily aligned with us. God is aligned with Jesus. And our words are, and our actions are called to be aligned with who He is. Are we people who are aligning with Jesus? Because God, God, God has said to us continually in His Word that He is for us. And if He's for us, no one can be against us. Would we not forget that? If we're completely dismissive of supernatural things, what hope do we really have? What we see here in this passage and what you see in the church at Ephesus is that there are those who have dismissed the supernatural. And if we get rid of the supernatural, what are we really saying? If we can get rid of the idea in our hearts and minds that Jesus really came as God in the flesh to save man and woman and call them to himself dying in our place crucifying our sin what hope do we really have for resurrection if we remove that concept verse 6 we are from God what a bold statement that John gives to the church at Ephesus we are from God so those who align with us and that the only hope of the world is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, we are from God. And anyone who knows God listens to us. That's why we don't live in tension and distortion and argument. That's how we can put secondary and tertiary and whatever the fourth letter of that line is to the side so that we can not worry so much about what we're against but who we are for. Who we are for. 
We are from God, and anyone who listens to God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Well, how? How do we see this at work? True love for other believers declares that someone belongs and knows to God. Belongs to God and knows God. Where do you see that in the Bible? Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You can differ from someone who meets at a church on a different street in our community and not lose that you are bound together by Christ and by His Word if Christ is the center of what they believe. So we've had this conversation and we see that we're supposed to love one another and we see that love is active and we see that love is moving and we see that love confronts falsehood and we see that love directs us toward God. But the question that we have to ask anytime we're having a conversation about love in our society is what is it? Love is a flippant word that we are currently using to describe children, cheeseburgers, and chihuahuas. We use love to talk about everything. Using love to talk about everything, then we're not talking about anything. Does the Scripture show us what love really is? 1 John 4, 8. This the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Awesome. Help me out. God is love. I've heard that my entire life. So I get to make sure that I accept and affirm everything that is taking place in our world? No. There are parameters given to us as to what love should look like. C.S. Lewis helps us to understand the, the, what's at work in 1 John by talking to us about the Trinitarian exchange. So you have God who is love and God who is always love. God did not need us to show up. None of, you have show, none of us make God a better God. But there's a Trinitarian idea in the Scripture that God is the inner workings of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are always at work. And we see that when, when Lewis says this, much of the most important thing to know is that it is a relationship of love, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father delights in the Son, the Son looks to His Father. What the Christians mean by the statement, God is love, is that the living, dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever, and that has created everything else. In Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. So if we're wanting to know how God interacts and loves us, we see that God is love in verses 8 through 10. 
And this is how we can know that love should be defined. God sent his son. God loved us first. And God sacrificed himself. At the end of verse 8, God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. Or your Bible may say, this is how you know what love is. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The standard by which we understand love is not what a person feels or does not feel. The standard by which we understand love and what that means is to be found and understood through the life and death of Jesus on the cross. So if I'm going to really know love, these should be the thing that I am judging it by. Love sacrifices. Love confronts. Love pursues. Love endures. We believe the living God of the Bible loved by taking our sinful flesh upon himself. We believe that he loved us because Jesus Christ pursues the lost. Jesus Christ confronts our sin. Jesus Christ endured the cross. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself in our place. And Jesus Christ rose again victorious over sin, death, the grave, and hell. To say that there is one who is victorious and it is him. And he has called us to into a love relationship with him where we can know what love actually is. That it is sacrificial. Is your love sacrificial? It is confrontational. When those in your life who are in sin, do you help them to move away from that? And are you receptive when they move you in that way? Love pursues. So for those in our lives who are lost and far from Jesus, are we creating spaces to have conversations with them about the pursuit of God? Love endures. Love is this incredibly direct thing in scriptures. Is it that in us? When the message is coming across the way, in the way that we live, that message, an enduring, sacrificial, confrontational, and pursuing love, then we can be assured that the Spirit is at work in God's people. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As a family of faith, we take communion each week. I want to invite some of you. Uh, if you're a believer in this room and you're a member of grace, of course, take communion. If you're here with us today and you have placed your faith in Christ, but you don't belong to our church, we just talked about the bigness of the church, and I want you to know that you're invited to the table. If you believe that your only hope for salvation is Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, we invite you to the table. To take of the bread, to drink of the juice, the wine, to remember what God has done in our behalf. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to pursue Jesus because he's pursuing you. And you don't get to pursue him unless he does you. Father, we trust you this morning and we thank you that your word is good and true and pure. Would you be at work in us this morning? If there are any here who are lost, we just pray that you would find them. We ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus.